that Jerry sang that lyric on that verse, that song, because he'll always do what he's always done. We spent about four hours together yesterday at a football game, and it was just blazing hot, and we were standing in the stands, we were watching uh, fifth and sixth grade and third and fourth grade uh, Pee Wee Lumberjacks play, and Jerry was sitting underneath the tent uh, that we brought, and, and he stood up and said, I'm going to go get whoever wants anything, something to drink, I'm going to go get it, I'm going to go get it. And I was like, I'm good, Jerry, thank you. It's like hour three, and we're just melting. And, uh, and he said, Matt, do you want something? You want something? I'm going to get you something. I said, Jerry, if you bring something back, I'll drink it. And so he comes back with this cup of sweet tea that is like nectar from Jesus. And it is fantastic. And I took a drink of it, and I just thought, man, that... That just refreshed me. Jerry's a deacon at our church. And, and, and I said, Jerry, man, thanks so much. You didn't have to do that. He said, well, it was half off. He'll always do what he's always done. That's good. I don't know. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. Glad you're here. Listen, we started a whole new series last week called I'm going to pray for you where we talk about prayer. And I told you the uh, kind of the buildup last week of, of I preached and I told you the whole process of the preaching. If you didn't, if you weren't here last week or if you haven't, maybe listen to that. Then I encourage you. Uh, to get online this week, it'll, um, it'll be up this week. Dustin says, yeah, it'll be online this week and you can watch it or you can get on uh, iTunes on our podcast and listen to it while you're driving around or maybe at your work or whatever you do. Just catch up from last week because it's really going to give you the context and the framework for the rest of the series. If you don't know the rest of that story from last week, then you're not going to understand uh, a lot of the stuff that we're kind of moving forward with. But today I'm going to do something a lot different than what I normally do. You know, last week I said that because I was going to give you the process. This week I'm going to, I'm going to preach about praying on a verse that has nothing to do with prayer. Is that okay? Can we do that? I believe the process that we're going to get through this is something that I believe will really click with a lot of us and, and you'll be able to understand where we're going uh, with this. But to start, I was thinking about um, this idea of doing something that just doesn't make any sense. Have y'all ever done anything that just doesn't make sense? Like, you know you have to do it, but in the process of it, you know this doesn't make sense. And so I remember back when I was a single man and uh, young and dumb and, and some of my best friends had had a baby and, uh, and he was not an easy baby. You know those babies that just, uh, they just cry a lot and they just do a lot of things that just, it makes it real tough. Well, I, as a single 20 some odd year old man, thought, well, that's kind of dumb. Why don't they just put that kid to bed? And just leave it. Like he would, they'd put him to bed and he'd cry and they'd go back in there and they'd rock and they'd, and, and like they'd go back in and back and forth, back and forth, cry. And I thought, as a thing, I thought, remember, just think, shut the door. Maybe will go to sleep eventually. Just, I mean, they'll cry for a little while, but surely, I mean, it's 10 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock. They'll go to, maybe they'll go to bed. Never did it clue on me, like, hey, leave their house because it's 11 o'clock and they're trying to put their kid to bed. That's never a thought. But the kids should just go to sleep, right? Then, then I had children, right? And, and like the, the enlightenment comes with your own kids. And like Brody, listen, Brody was the easiest baby in the world. He was the easiest kid. Six weeks old, he was sleeping in his crib all the way through the night. Like that easy. But there was this phase that he went through. A couple, three, four, five, six months and old. And I, and I remember he would we put him to bed and he would cry. But if we, we went in there, I remember we pulled a dining room chair into his into his nursery in the dark and I remember sitting beside his little bed and and I would knock the side of that crib and it was just enough just to soothe him and he'd calm down and he'd settle in and and then the trick was how long do you do it because if you left too early you started all over again right you started at you started at the beginning and then he would wake up and scream and then he goes and I'd knock and I'd knock and I'd get I'd slow down and 
her down. And then I did this. And I would crawl out of the... This is dumb, right? This is... I remember thinking in the moment, this is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever done in my life. And when I was down on all fours, you know what I was thinking? It wasn't, oh man, I should have never thought that about those other people. I, how, it wasn't that. It was, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Why am I crawling out of the room? I'm a grown man. I'm crawling away from a toddler, right? And I... I remember that I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep crawling until I hit the hallway and like shut the door behind me and I'll get up. But I just remember thinking, why am I doing this? Like sometimes what we do just doesn't make sense. Now, if you remember our story from last week about Honey the Circle Maker, and, and, and if you weren't here, then you need to, you need to rewatch, like I said, because it'll make sense. Honey came out and he drew a circle in the sand and he basically said, God, I'm not moving from the circle until you send your blessing, which is a ridiculous, bold, powerful, God-honoring prayer. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, about how God hears specific prayer, and it's, it's going to be really good. I, I, I'm excited about that week. But, but what he did in that moment is he implemented some framework that when we look at our story today in Joshua chapter 6, it's going to make sense to see how, how what he prayed certain things, God answered in certain ways. So if you've got a Bible, go to Joshua chapter 6, and, uh, and we're going to kind of give you a little bit of a to give you a little bit of context before we dive into this. If, if you know your Old Testament story, you know kind of where we're at, uh, then we've already had, uh, uh, Moses has already been the leader. We've already left Egypt. We've already gone through the parted Red Seas. You guys remember that from Charlton Heston and the Easter movie. Um, and then he's, we've already spent the spies in, right? And they've come back and no, we can't go. And two of them, yeah, we can. But uh, because no, we all said no. And so 40 years of wandering in the desert has already happened, Okay. And, uh, and now we're back, and Moses has died, and Joshua is in charge. Joshua is one of the original 12 spies that went in 40 years earlier and said, he came back and said, yeah, we can. Everybody else said, no, we can't. And, and, and so now Joshua has kind of grown into some leadership. He's been kind of Moses' right-hand man throughout those 40 years, and, and he really is, he was a commander of the army. Y'all remember the story about when uh, Moses was holding his hands up and the army of the Israelites were winning? Y'all remember that story in Scripture? Well, the guy who was down on the ground fighting was Joshua. He was the army guy. He was the commander. And so now that Moses has died, what we need is we need an army commander to come in and help us take the land because the problem was that the land that they're about to go take is inhabited, right? People live there. And so incredibly, now Joshua is the leader and, uh, and he's going to lead the people into the promised land. And so we're at the bank of the Jordan River and... Uh, if you read the first chapter of Joshua, it's really incredible. If, if you ever get to a point in life where you just need some encouragement, read the first chapter of Joshua because uh, it starts off saying that you know Moses has died and, and Joshua has kind of come to the leadership. And over and over again in that first chapter, God continues to tell, tell Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. I am with you like I was with Moses. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and Courageous says it over and over again. And basically what he's looking at Joshua saying is, you can do this. Like you can, you can do this. this. This may be hard, but you can do it. And, and the most crazy thing happened. Joshua believed him. He believed that he could do it. He believed that God said he was going to be with him. He was going to be with him. And so though in the, in the moment I thought, well, why wouldn't Joshua believe him, right? He, he witnessed the, the, remember the pillar of fire? 
that led them at night, and the pillar of cloud that led them at day. He, he heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai when God addressed everybody and everybody fell on their face before God. He, he witnessed the miracles. He ate manna and quail and had plenty of water to drink while he was wandering the desert for 40 years. He has seen all these incredible, miraculous things of God. Why wouldn't he believe him? When he said that you can do it, and I know we're going to pause right here, and this has nothing to do with praying, but can we just take some perspective in the moment? When we've seen everything God does for us and how he has, how he has watched over us and protected us and called us to things, when he says that we can do something, why do we not just believe him? Why, why, do, we, why do we think that he's trying to push us into something that we're not prepared for? Why do we think that, that he, he doesn't really know the limitations that we have? Listen, if God's pulling you to something, then you can handle it. If he's saying you can do it, then guess what? You can do it. Why do we, why do we try to argue with that? And I know preach about praying, Matt, right? Because that's what we're supposed to be talking about. But Joshua believes him, right? And so he, uh, he begins to get everybody ready to kind of go into the promised land. And, and, and at this point, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And they need to cross the Jordan to get to uh, what we now know as Israel and, and Palestine and that area of the world. And so when we part, cross over the Jordan River, they, they, there's, a, there's an issue. There's a, there's a river. And, uh, and so God tells uh, Joshua, say, get the ark, get the ark of the covenant. It was where the manna was stored, where Aaron's rod uh, was in that. The Ten Commandments was in that, right? And so he said, get the ark and have the priests carry the ark into the shallow parts of the river. Uh, and when you do, I'll stop the river. And you guys can cross. And so, incredibly, uh, Joshua grabs the priest and he says, I want you guys to walk out into the river. And they walk out, and the, and the river stops upstream. And, and the Bible says that they were able to cross the river on dry ground, which all these bells should be going off uh, because they were going off for all the Israelites because it just reminded them of what happened 40 years earlier with the Red Sea, right? And so now we have two separate water instances where they get to cross over into what God has promised them. And this time, they all go across and they all go into this land where people are living. And the, the, the bigger issue is the people who are living there know they're coming. Like they know, here comes the Israelites. Here comes those Hebrews. We better get ready for what's going to happen. And so the very first thing that they kind of come up to is this city of Jericho. And uh, that's where we get in Joshua chapter 6. This is really incredible. So let's, let's kind of go through this. Number uh, Verse 1, Joshua chapter 6 says this. Now Jericho was tightly shut up. Because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now, hang on a second. No, he hadn't. Right? When we see the city of Jericho, it's tightly shut up. Like it is fortified. It is, it's, it's walled up and it's sealed. And I believe that sometimes we are facing things in our life and we're praying about something in our heart, and it's sealed up, and it's shut off, and it's fortified, and it's strong. And God looks at, looks at Joshua and says, I have delivered. That's past tense. He didn't say, I am going to, or I'm going, I am currently. He said, I already have. I already have given you this city. Past tense. This leads me to, uh, I, I've got pairs of twos throughout my sermon today. I got two questions, I got two thoughts, and I got two things at the very end. So the first of my two questions is this. What happens when what you see doesn't line up with what God said? What happens when what you see 
doesn't line up with what God said. What God said is we are all more than conquerors, right? But what we see is our kids struggling with addiction. What happens when what you see doesn't line up with what God said? God said that whatever you ask for in my name, I will do. Then why are you still lacking the very thing that you've been begging God for? God said that I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you hope and a future, right? Then why is at every turn, everything you do seem to be so hard? So what you see doesn't line up with what God said. What you know God said was when two or more are gathered, then I will be there too. So then why is it that you haven't felt the presence of God in your life in a very, very long time? What happens when what you see doesn't line up with what he said? Joshua is standing looking at this city that's just this impressive, huge city. And God said, oh, I've already given that to you. And so Joshua has to do something. He has to, he has to believe something that he can't even see. Look at what happens next, verse 3. God says, march around the city once with all the armed men. You guys know this story, right? Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So, this leads me to my second question. What do you do when God, what God said doesn't make any sense? Right? If... if there's instruction here, which is fantastic. Like, how many times would, it, would it just we take a big deep breath if we prayed for something and God gave us specific instruction to do? Like, if He told us, "Well, if you'll do this for the next seven days, what you've asked for," that would make us feel so like, "Oh man, it'd be incredible!" Right? We would just take this big deep breath. But this instruction is not logical. It doesn't make any sense to have the priest carry this ark, followed by about seven hundred fifty thousand armed guards, armed men. And have them march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around it seven times. And then the walls will fall. Then you can go in. And it does not make any sense. So here's a picture of the city of Jericho. This is, what the, this is an artist's rendering of what it should look like. It's not small. These walls that are up there, are there's an upper wall and a lower wall. Uh, that lower wall, if you notice, there's like a dark brown and then a lighter brown. That lighter brown is a retaining wall to keep the upper wall from falling. This is, this is 50 to 60 feet worth of walls. And, and Joshua's looking at it going, this is a horrible plan, right? If you're an Israelite man, if you're one of the 750,000 and your leader comes and says, hey, listen, guys, we're going to just walk. We're going to walk around the city like 13 times. And, and then it's all just going to fall apart and we're just going to walk in there. You're going to look and go, what is wrong with this guy? This is a horrible plan. Because think about if you're one of these men, what are they ready to do? They're ready to fight. Right? They've been waiting for 40 years to get to finally take the land that God has promised to give them. And this is the first place they show up to. They're like, they're all brave heart with like face paints and they're ready to go, right? They, they have spear and sword in hand and they are, they're ready to give their battle cry and they're ready to fight. And, and Joshua shows up for this first major leadership decision and says, hey, we're going to go prayer walking and we're just going to do what God said to do. And these men are like, okay. So we walk. 
and and if you keep reading it's it's kind of it's interesting what did God ask him to do he asked him to circle now if you take this and you go back to our our story last week remember about Honey the circle maker and how he prayed this ridiculous audacious prayer and he had the faith to say you know what I'm going to keep praying until you send your blessing. I'm going to keep circling. Until you answer my prayer. It's not a, not a manipulative tool. Don't, don't misread it as that. It's just faithful to keep circling. Faithful to keep praying. Church, you may feel like there's some specific things. That you need to do in the process of getting what you're praying for, right? Have you ever felt like that? Like you could do something to help God out or maybe happen a little faster or maybe in the way that you want it to happen. And I believe most of the time what God's telling us is just keep circling. Just keep praying. Keep giving the control over Him. Keep seeking His direction. Keep trusting Him. Because here's the reality. Joshua couldn't make the walls fall. In his own person, he could not do anything about the walls of Jericho. Just like, just like you can't make your husband love you. Just like you can't make your addiction go away. Just like you can't make your past go away. Just like you can't make your illness go away. Just like you can't make people do the right thing. Just because, just like you can't make your kids make good decisions. You don't have the control over that. God told Joshua, circle the town. I'll take care of the rest. You do what I'm asking. I'll do what you can't do. You do the simple and I'll do the supernatural. You do the finite. I'll do the infinite. You do the mundane and I'll do the miraculous. You do you're supposed to do and I'll do the rest church I'm telling you a lot of us are circling something and we feel like we need to be doing something as we circle and God just says just circle just pray about it just keep praying over I'll handle what you can't do I'll work it out don't worry you do what you're supposed to do what's that Ephesians 3.20 Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Why would we not trust Him? God, you do that part. Do the immeasurably more part. Because I can't do that. Even more than I can imagine, God, I'm going to let you do that. I'm just going to be faithful in what I'm supposed to do. So Joshua is about to answer these questions. It's really great. What do you do when you see that God doesn't, what you see doesn't line up with what God said? And what do you do when God, what God said doesn't make sense? Look at verse 6, chapter 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, calling him again, called the priest them and said, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with armed guard going ahead of the Ark. Now, this is incredible. They did this the first day. And the Bible says in verse 12, the next morning they did it again. And in verse 14, they did it again for six more days, right? You know what you do? When what you see doesn't line up with what God said, and you know what you do when what God said doesn't make sense? You just do what God said. That's very simple. (laughs) Just do what He says. Just do what 
he says. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It doesn't have to see, you don't have to see the end result. You don't have to have the biggest picture. You don't have to have all that stuff in line before you do what God says. You just do what God says. Joshua looks at the city and goes, okay, we're going for a walk. And he gets the people together and he gets the priest and he tells everybody, hey, listen, we're walking around the city. Advance. Start walking. And everybody starts walking and they start doing it. Now listen, this is great. This is verse 20. Let's skip all the way down to this. This is after the seventh day and the seventh lap of the seven day. Remember, they got to do it once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they circle the city seven times. And this is after the seventh lap of the seventh day, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded and all the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. Isn't that incredible? What did God say he was going to do? And then what did God do? He did exactly what he said he was going to do. If you do what you're supposed to do, I'm giving you instruction. You do this, even though it doesn't make sense, even though you can't see the end result, you just do it. I'll take care of the walls. And here's two things that kind of stood out to me this whole First one, I put two interesting thoughts. Really, I just, these are two weird things that stuck out to me. Do you notice that nothing dramatic happened? Now, it was just exactly what God said was going to happen. That's the first one. Nothing dramatic happened. Don't get me wrong. The, the falling of the walls is incredible. It's miraculous. It's, it's history changing, right? I get that. But, but it wasn't this dramatic, like, voice from God and the, the walls shook and fell down or, or like this clap of thunder or earthquake or lightning or anything. They did what they were supposed to do. They blew the trumpets. Everybody shouted and the walls fell. And, and the, my very first thought was, if you read the book of Revelation, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever done a study on that before. Jessica's talked through uh, a study on that uh, with the women and with the, with the, the, back when the girls Bible study, when she was teaching that years and years ago. Um, and and if you read through the book of Revelation, there's this all this buildup, right? There's the, there's the introduction of the Antichrist, and the, you get the dragon and the beast and all this kind of crazy stuff. And, and you're so ready. And what we have in our minds is this picture of this apocalyptic, like, showdown, right? Remember, Jesus comes out, and he's riding on this, robe, or on this horse with his robe dipped in blood, and, and he's ready to fight and all this kind of crazy stuff. If you've never read Revelation, then you're thinking, this preacher is nuts. But it's, it's in there. And in and, and this moment, you have all this buildup. And this incredible moment, and you think, there's going to be this big, like, epic Avengers in-game battle scene, and everybody's going to come back, right? And all they're going to have all these, if you're a nerd, and, like, Dustin's just like, oh, Avengers, right? And so, like, if you have all this, like, build-up to this moment, and the Bible just says, and Jesus cast the devil and uh, the Antichrist and the serpent into the lake of fire. And you're like, well, that was anticlimactic. It wasn't, it wasn't this big, because we think there's just this going to be this big major, like, intense angels fighting angels, and, and, and Jesus just comes in and goes, I win. And everybody goes, yeah. And they all just go jumping. It's not that. But they all, they all just, and that's what happened right here. Like, I was reading this, and, like, they did what they were supposed to do, and they blew the trumpets, and everybody yelled, and the walls fell. And I thought, why do we wait for something dramatic to happen? When we're doing what God's asked us to do, and we're circling this, Listen, just because it's not dramatic doesn't mean that God's not answering it. Just because there's not some fanfare or some incredible, like, um, you know, movement or, you know, like, I, I think about the, the roof of the house being ripped off and then you have, like, the Aurora Borealis happening and war in Arkansas and you see all these crazy lights and then, then, but just because that's 
not accompaniment doesn't diminish the miracle of the answered prayer you've been circling. Some of y'all been praying for things, praying for things, and praying for things, and the next thing you know, God's answered it. And you're just, you're almost like confused. Like, wow, God, did you just really, that really just work out? There wasn't anything, it wasn't like this thundering voice from heaven. You just answered the prayer. But I've been praying for six years. Maybe for six months. And just because there's not something dramatic, like God's faithfulness means that he doesn't have to put on a show when he does something he promised he would do. God's faithfulness means he doesn't have to put on a show when he does something he promised he would do. Quit looking for the show and start recognizing the answer. That may be some. That may be enough for some of y'all. Quit looking for the show and start recognizing the answer. My second thought about verse twenty was this: What would have happened if they would have stopped short? If they'd have stopped too soon. What would have happened if they would have stopped on day four? What would have happened if they would have stopped on day seven? I'm not doing this. What what if? What if on lap six, on day seven? they would have stopped. Because here's what scriptures doesn't say. It doesn't say that as they were walking around, the walls began to crumble. Or as, as they made their laps daily, they could see cracks in the foundation. It just says that after they marched all their laps, after they did everything, and then after the trumpets and after the shout, then the walls fell. There was no inclination along the way that God was going to fulfill his promise. There was no, oh yeah, this is about to happen. Oh, I can't wait. Look, look, look. You can almost see it. Go. It just means they walked. They walked. And they walked. They did what they were supposed to do. And then the walls happened. And church, I'm convinced. Listen, too many of us stop too soon. The reason, listen, the reason why your prayers haven't been answered is because you stopped praying then. Before he answered it. You stopped too soon. And for some of us, you may have stopped on, on day two. And, and there was a lot more praying you were supposed to be doing before God would answer that prayer. Some of you stopped on lap six of day seven. And you thought, this isn't working. I can't see any major change. God's not intervening. God doesn't care. I'm, I'm over this. I'm not doing this anymore. I quit. And the reason why he hasn't answered is because you stopped. Joshua had to walk around that city 13 times. 13 times. All the way around. He didn't walk halfway one day and say, no, I'm not going to walk the rest. Y'all go on without me. He didn't cut corners. He didn't try to, he didn't say, well, maybe God knows my heart and he knows I'm really tired today or he knows that, that, that I meant to walk all the way around it, but I just didn't get all the way to it today. He walked all the way around the city 13 times. Because he had to do it all. He had to walk all the way around it. Joshua didn't stop circling. And neither can we. Now here's my last thought. See, I'm getting you guys out of here. I'm making up for last week because I went a little long. My last thought is this. Really two. Um, two more questions. <laughs> How do we know that the walls actually fell? 
How do we know? I mean, it's a great story. This is an Old Testament story. This is, this is after Moses. And so we are 2,000 years before, um, before Jesus and, then, and before we even have you know, lots of other things recorded for us in history. How do we know that the walls actually fell? Well, history tells us that they did. Uh, if you do some research on the walls of Jericho, or even like, if you even Google the Tower of Jericho, there's a, there's a, a ex, expedition crew that came in and, and did some excavation uh, in the early 1900s, and uh, and they found they they know where the city of Jericho was. They kind of know where that is, and so they went digging and they found the walls of Jericho. They found the actual structural walls of the old ancient city, and they kept digging below it, and they found rubbled, crushed, older walls. And and it just it it all points all signs points back to the biblical account of what happened. And so they date those things, and you know how that guy stuff goes. But some they some of that stuff they dated was between 1900 and 1550 BC, which would put them in the appropriate time range of the actual event that we just read in Scripture. There's in the Tower of of, of Jericho. There's um, when some of those walls fell, they kind of they kind of caved up and made some like natural caves because they didn't collapse all the way down. And and inside those natural caves were some pottery that that was kind of entombed and protected. And they dug out this pottery, and that pottery is dated from the exact same time period that it would have happened that the walls would have fallen in Jericho. It's incredible. So, put this in our perspective. How do we know that the walls in our lives, the things that we've been circling, how do we know sometimes that they've fallen? And my answer is the same that, that history will tell you. And sometimes it takes time to know that the walls fell. Listen, we want to pray these popcorn prayers where we, we microwave something for a minute and a half, two and a half minutes, whatever it is, and, and we see these immediate changes and these little answers and, oh gosh, here it goes, here it goes, here it goes, here it goes. But sometimes, sometimes time has to tell whether the prayer is answered or not. Sometimes you, you circle something and you just keep circling it and you don't, you're not really sure if it's been answered, but you're just going to keep praying and you're going to keep praying and keep praying and time has to pass before you can see the answer to that prayer. And, and I would say that to us. How do we know? Sometimes we just got to wait and we got to be faithful to what God's called us to and history will tell if the walls fell. Time will be your friend when it comes to your prayer life. Second question I had was the significance of the sevens. If you read this passage of Scripture, chapter 6, it's interesting. I want you to do that this week. Read, read chapter 6 of Joshua. If you, if you read that, the, the number 7 comes up a bunch. And if you, numerologists, you know, they like to make a lot of big deals out of things that are not really big deals. And, and, uh, but there's, there's significant numbers in Scripture. If you read through it, 40 days is a significant uh, uh, seven is significant. Um, uh, you get twelve is significant, obvious, uh, and then you double those sometimes, uh, and you get you know twenty four and one hundred forty four, and we can go all kinds of numerologists like to go off into the real depths and recesses of that. But if you read Joshua chapter six, the number seven shows up eleven times. Eleven, kind of interesting. Read through it, and seven priests, seven trumpets, seven uh, lap, seven days, all this kind of stuff, and you go wonder wonder why that number seven is in there. And so I read through different people and what they have to say about stuff. And uh, One guy I read had a really neat thought towards this. I thought I'd share this with you. He said this. Number seven is significant throughout Scripture, but it begins in the beginning with creation. 
on seven days of creation, on the seventh day, God rested and he, he reflected and he saw that everything he did was good and, and it was all exactly how he wanted it to be. And he paralleled creation with the Jericho story. He said the, the, the Israelites had to walk around Jericho seven times because what God did in the beginning is he, is he made something brand new, something perfect, something exactly what he wanted it to make. And then with the Jericho situation, this was, this was, a, this was something brand new that God was doing. That Jericho was essentially the Israelites' new Eden. Like it was their new beginning. It was their new fresh start. It was exactly where they were supposed to be, right when they were supposed to be there. And he paralleled all this stuff with creation and the perfect situation with creation and this perfection of now people are doing what God's asked them to do. And I thought, this is, this is fantastic. Because when we pray for something, God's trying to do something brand new in us as well. He's trying to pull us into this new area of our life and this new, deeper significance of the relationship with Him into this new, deepening relationship of, of understanding what communication with the Father looks like, of understanding what, what, what faithfulness looks like, of understanding what, what consistent, real, honest, circling prayers looks like. And I think sometimes He's trying to create something new in us through our prayer. And so... So I'm leaving you with this this morning. It's real simple, and it's, it's really the easiest thing that I could say through this whole thing. Last week, I challenged you to pray more, right? Pray five minutes more than what you've been praying in the past. So if you've been praying one minute, pray six. If you've been praying 10 minutes, pray 15. If you've been praying 30 minutes, pray 35 minutes. And I also told you to get a journal and to begin to write out your prayers. And so this week, what I want you to do in those journals, if you've done this or in your heart, however you're doing it, is I want you to ask some of these questions. What's something that you believe God is calling you to that doesn't make sense? What's something that you believe God has put in front of you, but what you see doesn't line up with what God said? Identify those things. Be very specific. If it's people's names, oh, write that person's name down. If it's a job or a goal or an ambition or a calling or whatever it is, be very specific. Don't, don't write down to be a better husband or to be a better wife. Don't, how do you do that? you got to be specific. God, what are you calling me to that just doesn't make sense? What are you calling to me that I don't see the end goal of? Write, write down specifically what it is. And then circle it. Circle it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then in here, circle it. Over and 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 over again. And then when God says, do this, do it. I don't know, God, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this next step is. I'll do it. What's your Jericho? I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your heads. TJ's going to come and he's going to sing over us. And so I'm going to give you this invitation. Your invitation is very simple this morning. What's your Jericho? Some of you know it right now in the pit of your stomach. You know it. And it, listen, it could be your own salvation. 
God, I'm just unsure. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I really understood it. I don't know if I really have ever understood it. I don't know that I've ever made that commitment. Circle it. Right now, circle it. God, I don't know it's my kids. Circle it. What's your, Jericho, what are you supposed to be circling in prayer? And this week, my challenge is just circle it. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.